get good at telling your story and get good at telling stories. Because I think ultimately that's really what you need to do to communicate with a wide range of stakeholders in insurance and also fundraising and employees. Welcome to MGA Founders Podcast with Socotra CEO, Dan Woods. Tune in each episode to hear Dan chat with innovative MGA founders to learn their stories, their challenges, and their visions. And now our host, Dan Woods. Today I'm chatting with Nestor Solari, the founder and CEO of Sigo Seguros. They're an insure tech offering transparent, reliable, and affordable personal auto insurance for the Spanish-speaking community. Nestor, so good to have you with us. Where are you coming from today? I'm calling in from northern New Jersey, where it's not as warm as Austin is. Not as warm as Austin. I know that we're we're both living in Austin now. I just arrived here about eight months ago, and I think we connected up in person shortly thereafter. Obviously, our organization has been working together for over a year, but it was great to meet you in person. I got to Austin maybe a month or two after you and have been between the Northeast and Austin, but have really enjoyed my time down there. The, the energy and, and everything going on down there is, is kind of uncomparable right now. Loving it. Good music scene, good barbecue, other good stuff. Can't complain about the food for sure. You're from the Northeast originally? Born and raised here in New Jersey. Yeah. So, so my parents immigrated from Uruguay, both landed here in Northern New Jersey. And um, I was born and raised here before going off to school and, and bouncing around to a couple different cities in New York, Chicago, and, and most recently Austin. And what'd you study? How'd you get from there to insurance? Yeah, that's, that's funny. Most people I, I find that most insurance people I speak to end up saying that they fell into insurance by accident, right? Insurance kind of found them. And uh, similar with me, I, look, I studied finance undergrad, uh, went to Wall Street, worked in investment banking, and then moved into investing and had a great learning experience and really enjoyed it. But kind of stumbled across insurance after some family members were struggling to get auto insurance. And, and that kind of triggered my, my interest. And I kind of dove in there and out came Seago. Uh, kind of, that was the start of my insurance journey was launching an insurance company. Tell me about that. What were some of the struggles that you're, you're alluding to? Well, so in terms of my family, I, some of them are, are recently arrived immigrants. Some of them have, have been here for decades at this point. But I realized that whether they had a U.S. driver's license or foreign ID, they were still struggling to access insurance online, which, which I thought was a given. I, I didn't have any problems, right? But the more I researched, the more I learned it was because I was buying increased limits on a newer vehicle and I went to college and I lived in the next part of town. But if you don't really fit this, these specific categories that, that a lot of legacy carriers are looking at to rate their risk, it all of a sudden becomes a lot harder, even though you may have a clean driving record. Things like the absence of a credit score or, or like I said, a foreign ID, or maybe just, just the fact that you're buying statement of limits often forces people into some other options, going through brick and mortar, having to pay a lot extra in fees. And that didn't seem right to me. It seemed like people that were good drivers were getting kind of forced into these poor options because of circumstance. And, and that's kind of where I decided to, to jump in and start learning and building a solution. That's where Seiko Seguros came from. Exactly. So who'd you, who'd you start it with? How'd you find your, your founders? How did that come together? I mean, I was extremely fortunate. I started by myself. So I, I applied to business school with the intention of, hey, I, I want to take this time to start Seago. I got to school so on day one, was working on, on Seago and, and building the pitch deck and talking to people, classmates had an insurance experience. And towards the end of our first year, uh, I, Julie and I were in the same program. We met on the first day. I've got to be very close friends. And 
over a, a glass of wine, we were talking about his options for internships that summer. And I decided to give him one more option, which was to, to join me. And, and I'm very fortunate he did. Julio is a, a great background. He's an engineer student, worked in consulting, worked at startups. I mean, uh, is it an extremely good balance to me? And I think we, we work really well together. So, so it was very fortunate to have Julio kind of at graduation for us to go full time and, and start selling insurance over the phone because that, that's really how Seagull started was me and Julio calling people and trying to sell insurance. How did you even like, I don't know, get to come with the list of who did you even call? It sounds simple that way, but I mean, you've got to have a product, you've got to have capacity, you've got to like figure out how'd you get going with that? For anyone who's listening who is not from insurance, that's basically where I started. It was, okay, how, first of all, where do I take my test to then get licensed? And then after I'm licensed, how do I get an insurance company to let me sell their insurance? And, and that's really kind of how it started. And kind of a lot of what I did during school was getting licensed getting some of these appointments from wholesalers as an agent still. This was before we launched our MGA. And so operating as an agent, me and Julio put up a WordPress form with five questions, uh, name, zip code, type of car, and I guess marital status might've been the other one, and phone number. And with that, we started dialing out. We spent a couple hundred bucks on Google ads and Facebook ads. And once we realized people were actually giving us their information, and then when we were able to sell our first policy, we we said, hey, there, there might be something here, right? But yeah, this was really kind of put together and held together with, with bubble gum and scotch tape in the early stages. Thanks for addressing those who know insurance a little less. How does the, I think people know what an MGA is, managing general agent that writes on someone else's paper with someone else's capacity, but that makes sense in theory. How do the mechanics of that work? How did you learn about how to actually get that deal done? How did it come together? It's given how deep the insurance market is, it's very hard to find the specific information you want online, right? With other things, you can kind of Google online and do some online research, and that's kind of sufficient for you to get going. But with insurance, what I found was the quickest way to learn was to speak to other founders, insure tech, insurance founders specifically, but people in the industry. And so that's kind of not through osmosis, but through kind of interviews and reaching out to people, networking. That's kind of how we learned. We recruited some people with insurance expertise on the team. And so that's kind of how we started piecing it together. I think once we ran our agency for a few months and had at least the, the initial showings of the track record, we were able to kind of get in front of a reinsurance broker and then start pitching our program to fronting carriers and reinsurers. And I'm happy to go through kind of all those details and how that works mechanically. But it is kind of the, the, the exercise of building a team and partnerships because as an MGA, like you said, you got to find the capacity, the reinsurance, you have to find the paper, your fronting carrier, and you have to find the right technology system, which is how we kind of came to find Socotra. Um, I think I'm fortunate that Julio ran an extremely data-driven and detailed process because we knew how important it was to find the right system here. And, and when it came down to it, I mean, we, we really didn't take a close look at anything other than Socotra. But those are all the moving pieces that when it came time, to go from agency to MGA, we had to look at and put together before launching it. And then we launched our product back in August in Texas. So how do you learn to even, I'm thinking about when you get capacity, I mean, you got a pitch for that. It's like fundraising from what I hear. And if you want to know how to fundraise, I mean, you're in business school. I mean, there's probably an entrepreneur club and twice a week, they probably have a, yet another how to fundraise presentation or event. How do you learn how to get capacity? I think the comparison of fundraising is spot on. I think maybe earlier on, we had an easier time landing our reinsurance capacity, I think particularly because 
we had some initial data from our agency that looked pretty good. And by the time we got in front of reinsurers, we had really buttoned up our program. We had put together our underwriting guidelines. We had put together our rate order calculation. We had selected Socotro. We had kind of the playbook to get to market. And so I think that particularly as a startup brand new MGA was what got some of these early reinsurers over the hump. But I, I'd say it's very much like the fundraising process in which you'll do some speed dating, you'll meet some of the right partners, you'll go do some diligence. And as you grow, you're going to need to keep doing that similar, similar to fundraising, right? I think there was two kind of keys here. One, um, we had the right people on the team to put together the materials we needed. We had this pitch and we went down to the physics of the product. And like I said, the, the guidelines, the forms, all those details, the, the roadmap on, on executing on the tech. And then finding the right reinsurance broker, I think that's often not talked about, but we met with several and ultimately decided to go with one that, that has been a great partner for us. How many of your peers do you think work with brokers versus just using their own network? Is it like basically a matter of if they're in the industry and already have the connections? So I'll talk about admitted products. I guess I'm a little less familiar with non-admitted products. But for admitted products, I'd venture to guess that well over 90%, if not 99% of people working with reinsurance brokers. It's very much kind of part of the industry, and, and that's how you access those markets. It's relationship-driven. And so a lot of those reinsurance brokers have all the reinsurance capacity relationships. And so it's, it's about finding one that understands the vision and is going to be able to at least introduce that vision to reinsurers and get you in front of them. I understand that a lot of them have similar relationships and access to similar markets, but ultimately, it really came down with someone to find the partner that could see Seagull for what we were trying to build. And, and communicate that vision a little bit. But my understanding is that the vast majority of these programs, at least in, in personal auto specifically, are put together through reinsurance brokers. Do you think that's going to... I mean, obviously, tech is taking off. This is happening more and more and more often. And the brokers take a cut. Do you think that's going to be... Do you think that's going to sustain? Because that's the difference from fundraising. Fundraising, you know, you typically don't work with a broker. Although every now and then I get spam from someone telling me they'll broker, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Someone will do the fundraising for us, right? Um, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you get the same spam. It's like, no, I'm good. No, you know what? It's funny. It, it almost feels a little bit about like the conversation, maybe the insurance professional's conversation that is the parallel to the insurance agent conversation, right? I think when InsureTechs came out of the scene, there was a lot of talk about InsureTechs going direct to consumer like, like we are, but talking about let's try to cut out the broker and, and lower these costs and pass those cost savings on to the customer. I'm not sure that's been proven out yet, right? With brokers, there's still a lot of value there in distribution, building the relationships, and, and they haven't really been fully disintermediated. If, if anything, insurtechs are, are now being seen going to these brokers. And so I think there's a similar dynamic with reinsurance brokers um, as they are with their kind of retail distribution agents in that there's some attempts, there's some startups that are attacking this and, and trying to build a technology solution and then a market solution connecting reinsurers and NMGAs and capacity seekers. But I guess I'm not convinced. It's a, it's a hairy process. And each one of these reinsurance deals seems kind of artisanal, seems a little custom made. And so I think there's a lot of that. That is where the reinsurance broker comes in. And so I'd like to say that one of these startups is going to build, build a technology solution that's going to make it easier for all of us to launch programs. But there's a lot of momentum that they're going against here. One thing I love about Sigo Segoros is that you have a, well, you have a fantastic mission, that the, exactly the people you want to serve, which is fantastic in and of itself. But also what I find is because we, we work with a lot of clients and sometimes they're clients who compete with each other. And you're doing auto. We have a lot of clients that do auto. But I never have to worry when I'm talking to one of them that they're like, oh, Nestor, he's cool. They're doing their thing. 
you've got your lane and everyone likes Nestor, even if they're also doing auto insurance, which is really cool. I'm curious where your thoughts are on just on the crowdedness of InsureTechs. You've got your market pretty well understood and you're the ones hitting that market. I'm curious what you think generally, and perhaps even in an auto or outside of auto, is it overcrowded? Are there big winners that haven't been found yet? And, and what's kind of fueling this? Because I feel like there's more of them than you have in a lot of, you don't have as many ride sharing competitors or social network competitors or like some of the things that I was seeing back when there are other waves and booms of things. I feel like there's a lot of them here. Certainly in banking, there weren't this many new banks. That's a funny observation because I, you hear that a lot, particularly with us, that we're focused on a, on a target, very kind of what feels niche, native Spanish speakers, even though we're talking about the second largest Spanish-speaking country in the world in the U.S., right? But when you look at insurance, it's so deep, whether auto insurance is particularly deep. But when you look at the insurance industry as a whole, maybe there's some of these corners that could be kind of overcompeted or oversaturated. But I just, I, I don't see... This isn't kind of a similar winner-take-all dynamic to maybe some of the industries you you mentioned, right? Like the network effects aren't as as kind of as strong as like a social network or a ride-sharing company. So I see insurances continuing to be kind of very fragmented. I would definitely say some of the biggest winners in InsureTech have, have yet to be founded. And I think honestly, and, and not to talk up Socotra, but I think the launching of technologies like Socotra and other InsureTechs that are making it cheaper and easier to get to market is only going to increase the competition. And, and ultimately, that's where the customer wins, right? When you get a company that's specialized to your needs as much as possible, they can build the most profitable product and the best customer experience. And as long as that market's big enough, I think there's going to be, there's going to be room for it. Like I said, I think some of the corners, there, there could be an argument made, but I think there's just a lot of room to run here. It's a giant industry that is, has been slow to turn the ship. And, and I think now what you're seeing is a lot of kind of interesting, smart and brave founders kind of taking on some of these big companies. It's funny because I, I speak with some other insure tech founders that oftentimes the dynamic is like we're competitors. Like you were saying, you, you have a bunch of other clients, but no one feels like we're competitors, but there is that kind of maybe competitive streak among insure techs. But I think the way to look at it is really the, the still the new wave, including your giant roots and lemonades and Metro miles. It's still kind of us against the, the legacy systems that we're trying to overturn to a certain extent. Yep. And in fact, I mean, up to you if you're at liberty to say, but you're actually referred to us by an auto insurance insure tech. Yeah. I, yeah. I'd have to. <laughs> it's funny. And no, look, we've referred auto insurance insure techs over to, to Socotra as well. I mean, it makes sense. Which also speaks to me how it's a surprisingly collaborative industry. And I see this when I'm dealing with tier ones. It's amazing how I'm working with a tier one and literally I can get an introduction to their competitor for a sales lead. It's crazy. And it's wonderful, frankly. I agree. And it's funny you, you mentioned how collaborative it is, because even like recently, there was the news of, of layoffs at, at one of the big insurer techs, right? And, and what I mostly saw is maybe opportunistically, a lot of founders seeing the opportunity to, to reach out to talent, but really an outpouring of support for people from the community that, that I'm sure are talented, kind of getting presented with a bunch of opportunities at, at insure tech. So it was a nice kind of outpouring of support from founders and, and people that are hiring there as well. Did you feel the impact of that, that someone else is doing layoffs? So the only, look, I think the only impact we, we had was we, we got a couple more job applications at this point. Fortunately, I think we're at an early enough stage where, where maybe some of the things that the big auto insurers or the larger players are facing 
like these increases in frequency and severity for auto accidents, we're at a point where necessarily we're, we're growing and collecting that early data. And so we're not necessarily in, in a position where we need to cut down, but really still, still kind of speeding up. How many states are you operating in now? Yeah. So the Sego insurance product is available in Texas. We were kind of growing there, looking to grow there exponentially this year and expanding. Our agency business is continuing to operate in California. And we're looking to sign up kind of other partners. I think we're very much looking at this rollout strategy where we kind of launch with our agency, learn, build a book, and, and then see if it's a good fit for the Sego product. And so we expect to start launching into our second and third states kind of towards the beginning of this year, if not early next year. And I think one of the, one of the interesting things that you mentioned geography about our target consumer is the geographic concentration, right? And so the ability to build big in Texas or California or Florida, but we're really looking at maybe hitting 10 states, which makes our regulatory complexity as well as the, the ability to get going a little easier. And so excited to, to get out there as fast as possible and building kind of that initial base in Texas. Now, you referred to your agency. How does that distribution piece work and how do you think about it? So I, I think it's commonplace now that a lot of the big carriers and MGAs are building kind of ancillary agency businesses with the intention of monetizing the traffic that goes into your funnel but doesn't convert into your own program. Um, you're not going to be the most competitively priced for everyone, regardless of what everyone's advertising says. And so I think there's opportunities to partner with complementary carriers that can better serve maybe some of the risk we're getting. And so that's really the way we look at it. I mean, we're building our core program where we can digitally onboard customers without any handholding. Today, the majority of our customers are onboarding without any agent interaction, which is really what we want to build in terms of a low-cost operating structure and lean with lean technology. And, and thanks to kind of Sococha's APIs, we've been able to build that for our product. I think that's what tripped us up a little bit in the agency experience is that it's very difficult, particularly in the corner of non-standard auto. But it's really difficult to get carriers to open up their APIs, to build a fully digital experience, particularly for a new broker or agency. And so that's why kind of we're, we're prioritizing our product, but, but using kind of a call center model to follow up currently with those customers and looking at how we can integrate the technology in the future as well. Being a founder, being a CEO generally, what are the things that you spend most of your time thinking about? And what are the areas of the business that you really spend time on? Is it you know around them? product or marketing or what do you think of when you wake up in the middle of the night and you're about a project you can't stop thinking about? Oh, man, it's funny. I, I woke up in the middle of the night last night and, and as I was trying to fall back asleep, there were five or six things that were racing through my mind. No, we'd, we'd love to hear your answer to this question as well. But look, I think it, the thing about being a founder is it changes, right? You're in charge of everything. And I think you might have a great partner that can own the marketing but you're kind of ultimately the owner of everything. And so I think for me, I've been fortunate to have kind of co-founders and partners that have been able to build the technology, own the business front of the technology and the product management, as well as on the marketing side. And so a lot of that, I'm kind of more just overseeing rather than really getting my hands dirty today. I think a lot of what I'm still owning is the fundraising, the legal, the HR, the administrative, which you slowly kind of try to start getting off your plate, but a lot of kind of the essential things on the back end. I'd say early stage, since we're still kind of in fundraising mode, that's probably taking up 50 to 75% of my time at times. But other than that, kind of dealing like with reinsurers, managing those relationships, managing our investor relationships, the admin, the back end, and then managing the team and hiring. I'd say if I had to call out one thing that's really kind of top of mind for, for us now is hiring. It's unbelievable 
to see kind of how I started as one when we multiplied to, to two people or how much our capacity expanded. And now that we're at 11, it's just incredible to see kind of how much that multiplies, what we can put out and what we can do and finding the right people and getting them on the right seats. I remember, um, I know for Socotra, I was working on it by myself for a while. And then the first time I hired someone, I was just shocked the first time something got done and I didn't do it myself. It was just something you get done. And he's just like, oh, yeah, I took care of that. I just about like, like jumped. Like it is such a change that something actually happened on its own. Yeah, it's, it's a weird feeling once most of what's getting done isn't you anymore. Well, then there's levels. And then you get to the point where most of what's getting done, you're not aware of. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, of course, all the remote work has made it increasingly difficult, I think, at least speaking personally, to stay in touch and to feel like, I mean, it's difficult. We've much more than doubled since lockdown. I'd say probably half of our employees have never met in person, but I recognize them in a moment if they pass in the hallway. And that's like, how do I? So I try to make sure that I'm knowing what they're all about. And I mean, are you encountering things like that? It's funny you mentioned because I think being extremely intentional about over communicating and being in touch has been kind of one of the reasons why we've been very successful over lockdown, which has been the majority of Seagull's life at this point. And the, the majority of our team hasn't met, met in person either. And so I, I think there's challenges, particularly if you decide to be intentionally fully remote. I think there's kind of cultural challenges and things you want to manage and, and be very explicit about. The way we see it, I mean, I, I envision us probably doing some sort of hybrid structure in the future, never going back fully to the office, and probably always offering a fully remote option just because at this point, you'll miss out on talent. But we do see a lot of value in, in being together in person. And so I, I, we try to do it at least quarterly, if not monthly, where we'll do a couple days in person at a co-working space. And so that's something that's been from top of mind. But it's a funny balance between staying in touch and not having constant meetings on your calendar, right? As, especially for us. And you miss the water cooler talk where I think once you get to departments, the only way that you interact with someone is it's actual scheduled meeting because you both have to you know, join the teleconference. Yeah, absolutely. No. And I think some relationship building, right? I mean, it just kind of, like you said, the water cooler talk, some just the vibes, right? Some of the jokes, some of the laughs uh, that, you, that you share with people. I miss just eating in the, you know, eating the cafeteria around whoever is there and getting to hear what they did over the weekend or what they're passionate about, those sorts of things. You max out on a lot of that context too, right? The outside of work context, which is important, right? When you're building relationships with, with your team. Yeah, definitely. Where's the team distributed to now? You said that you're mostly, it sounds like you're mostly in the same geography if you're planning to get back to at least hybrid. So right now we're still, we're all fully remote. I'd say we're concentrated, if anywhere, in the Northeast. My co-founder's in Brooklyn. My VP of marketing is in Boston. My VP of engineering is, is moving out to the Northeast. I'm between New Jersey and, and Austin. So if we do some sort of co-working, it'll probably be up here, even though we're hiring all positions are fully remote, even though kind of the location we're putting is, is Austin as well. And so seeing eventually if we kind of have either two co-working situations, but we're, other than that, we have engineers in Latin America and a call center in Puerto Rico as well. And so uh, regardless, we'll still be operating kind of extensively. We'll be operating virtually extensively. And also, I think it's become as part of our kind of dialogue with our consumers, right? And we hear, we get often our consumers, our customers ask us, where's your office? And that's always, because, hey, we're, we're fully virtual with the intention of lowering costs and passing those on, on to you as well. So you're b between Austin and the kind of New York, New Jersey area. What are you finding the insure tech scene like in both of those places? 
it's tough to compare the energy that exists in Austin right now just with the founders of the startup network. It's contagious. We got a chance to connect down there. I got a chance to connect with other founders, both from small and some pretty big unicorns. They've been nothing but helpful. And I think that's a little bit of the small town maybe feel of, of Austin versus New York, New Jersey. It's still <laughs> the New York kind of metro area is still kind of you're your drowned in a sea of, of everything whether it's founders or insurtech or financial services, particularly around New York. I'd say the insurtech community in New York is, has been pretty strong. There's nonprofits like insurtech New York that have kind of built a pretty good community around there, as well as insurtech Hartford in Connecticut. And then the insurtech Austin guys are, are doing some awesome stuff. Shout out to Andrew, um, who I got a chance to connect with down there. But these community builders are doing awesome work. I mean, whether it's in, in New York or, or in Austin, it's been where I've gotten the majority of my kind of local insure tech knowledge, if you will. Andrew's great. This is Andrew from Vouch. Yeah, he throws events and all sorts of fun things. And then um, in New York, there's insure tech NY. I know they're doing a conference in March. I'll be out there for that. Uh, yeah, it's a great time to connect if I'm out here. David and, and Tony have, have, been, have been awesome. Oh, fantastic. And by the way, anything else, anything you'd like to cover that I should jump in on or would like to be asked? No, I mean, look, this is this has been a real smooth conversation. I don't think anything anything comes to mind. As you can tell, also, I'm not, you know, I appreciate you throwing Sakocha in a little bit, but it's, I mean, appreciate that you did do it. But it's about you. That's how. That's what I'm doing here. I hear you, but no, I mean, look, Sakocha has been an important part of the journey. Look, I, I think picking Sakocha has also been one of our wins. Tell us about what our teams have been doing together. And we've been in touch with your team now. Oh, man, going almost on, on two years. But this all started kind of with the idea of launching our own insurance product. So we had the agency in 2019, early 2020, we said we're going to launch our own product. And that's when we started, we realized all the moving parts, you need your capacity, you need your paper, and you need your tech. And that kind of launched our deep dive into policy admin systems. We got referred to Socotra through a, another insure tech founder who I think regretted not going with Socotra at the time. But we introduced to another through another insure tech founder. Sarcocha was one of about two dozen providers we spoke to. My co-founder is extremely analytical, data focused. We had a whole matrix with scorings across the board. Again, not to blow any smoke, but, but Sarcocha was a clear choice for us. And since we got started, the team's been super helpful in, in getting everything set up. I, I think choosing Sarcocha for us early on was a big win. I think it saved us a lot of time and a lot of headache. And obviously not, not without our growing pains on both sides, but I think we've really gotten a big head start on other competitors who actually kind of doubled back and may have decided to go with Socotra after making another choice. And so I, I think for us, it, it came down to being really kind of analytical about it. And then uh, really the, the success, a great deal of it goes out to your team, your sales team, the implementation engineers just have been, couldn't have been more helpful throughout the process and, and still. Thank you. And I've heard only good things as well. Where can people get more information about Sego Seguros? Yeah, we try to be out there across social media. So you can check us out on, on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Sego Seguros. You can also check out our website, SegoSeguros.com. Always happy to connect with other founders or people in the insure tech space. People can, can feel free to reach out to me directly. My email is Nestor at SegoSeguros.com. We try to make sure we, we keep producing content and, and are available customers and, and anyone else who's who's interested in learning more. Okay. Any asks? Anything you're hiring for that you'd like to give a shout out for? 
A hundred percent. Look, I think we're building out our team aggressively this year, looking to double or triple, building out insurance functions, looking for insurance product managers, underwriters, customer service uh, people, and, and also looking for engineers. Anyone with insure tech experience would be great to add on to the team. But yeah, I, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention all the things we're hiring for. And so would love to hear from anyone interested in learning more. Oh, it's a great mission. Then I think the last thing I'll touch on is uh, you said earlier that and I agree strongly that there are big insure techs yet to be founded. I'm curious for your thoughts, for your advice, for anyone listening who has an idea of what's needed that hasn't been created yet and what you'd suggest to them. I have a, a list and I'll try to keep it tight, maybe to the top three ideas, if you will. But one of them I, I always go back to, and if you're kind of mission driven and, and have a similar skill set to mine, I always go back to small business commercial insurance, particularly when you're looking at kind of uh, immigrant and the native Spanish-speaking population. I think there's a huge opportunity in small commercial if Seagull doesn't make it there first. It seems like cyber is a huge opportunity nowadays. There's still little data around it, widely variable pricing. There still seems to be a, a big opportunity for cyber insurance. That I'm sure, I think there's a couple of people tackling, but again, I think there's still... Um, there are. I hear the capacity has been very tight for cyber, though. I imagine that's part of the challenge, yeah. And look, I think as you think about Web3 implications, you imagine there's, there's probably some room for some sort of digital asset insurance, some type of NFT wallet insurance, perhaps. I'm still very much a novice in kind of that crypto, blockchain, NFT world, but there seems like there's emerging opportunities there and it's only going to become a bigger part of the pie. Besides the opportunity, any advice on how to get it done? Co-founders, uh, capacity, fundraising, organization, go-to-market. Any surprises, learnings, or I guess I'll finish with that. Any pieces of wisdom on from that, or what was something that you learned that surprised you? This can be a whole second podcast if if we let it. But no, I, I think look, the two top things that I tell every new founder that I've been kind of consistently surprised at the value it's yielded is one: the importance of storytelling, especially early on with fundraising early on with hiring, motivating your teams, get good at telling your story and get good at telling stories. Because I think ultimately that's really what you need to do to communicate with a wide range of stakeholders in insurance and also fundraising and employees. And so I'd say that's the one thing that I wish you hear a lot and I maybe glossed over it until it really clicked for me. And, and I think it was really a turning point for us when I really kind of crafted the right story and got comfortable telling it. The second thing I'd say is talk to as many founders as possible. I found that the people that are the most candid are the only ones that really tell the truth maybe 100% of the time to other founders is other founders. That has been the single most valuable source of information for me is having those conversations. And so be gritty, reach out to people, ask for introductions, get in front of people, be prepared for those conversations and make sure you can squeeze the juice out of them when, when you get that time. And then I don't want to be generic with it, but don't let the no's get you down. You're, you're looking for the yeses. You're going to get a lot more of them than yeses. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, look, I'm sure this, this all kind of resonates with you as well, but you've been on this journey a little longer than I have. Yeah, definitely. Chief storyteller is very often your biggest role. Absolutely. And especially for Sigo Segoros, because of the uh, just the mission that you have, you have a story to tell and it's personal. And, and I think that's fantastic. With that, uh, Nestor, thanks so much for joining me today. Everyone, Sigo Segoros, check them out. Till next time. Thanks for having me, Dan. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode of MGA Founders Podcast, brought to you by Socotra, the policy administration system modern enough to power today's most innovative insurtechs. Visit Socotra.com forward slash MGA to see why more insurtechs trust Socotra than any other core platform. You'll find links to future episodes in today's show notes. Thank you for listening and make sure to subscribe and help us out with the review.